Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, They'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Oh, hey. It's that guy down the hall who wears fanny packs. And now you want to wear a fanny pack. But if he notices, it'll be weird. But maybe he'll be flattered. Allie Ward here with a 64-bit version of the ninth episode of Smologies. What is Smologies? I'm so glad you asked. So we took full Ologies episodes and then we sliced them and diced them up to make these really bite-sized, classroom-friendly edits of our deep dive classics. So if you have not listened to the original full-length episode of Letology and you don't mind some not safe for school details, and lots of swearing. Go back, listen to that version. The link is in the show notes. But if you only have about 20 minutes or you need a G-rated version that's suitable for all ages, you're in the right place. Let the games begin. Okay. In this episode, we sit down with letologist and game designer, speaker, and someone I was just talking about and quoting her in last week's full-length neuropathology episode about concussion therapy. So she has done two wildly popular TED Talks, written two New York Times best-selling books, including one called Reality is Broken. She also wrote the 2015 release Super Better, and she has a new book coming out March 22nd, 2022. I just asked her about it today. It's called Imaginable. It's all about how we can play games and use our imagination to predict otherwise hard-to-predict futures. She earned her PhD from the University of California at Berkeley in performance studies, where she went on to teach game design and game theory. And another little fun fact, she was named one of the 20 most inspiring women of the world by Oprah. Just fun facts. But she's known the best as the inventor and the co-founder of Super Better, which is a game that's helped more than a million people tackle actual real-life health problems. And if that isn't enough, she also teaches at Stanford University. She's the director of game research and development at the Institute for the Future. So a ludologist, she is one. And ludology is a real word. I swear I looked it up. It means the study of games. It comes from the Latin word ludare, to play. So playing, yay. The word was coined sometime around the 1950s. So it didn't mean video games back then because... Time machines are not a thing, but nowadays it can encompass all kinds of gameplay from sports to card games and, of course, yes, video games. So in this small Smologies condensed clean episode, we cover how video games can help improve brain function and build tenacity. We talk about gamifying your life, how online communities kind of translate to relationships in real life and how different games have different effects on the brain. Also, how much is too much gameplay? 
Hmm? I know. We all want to know. And also, essentially, video games, good or bad. So let's press start on a conversation that will one-up our brains and unlock some achievements with letologist and game designer, Dr. Jane McGonigal. She, her. Can you tell me kind of how games change yeah. the way we think or what yeah. happens in the brain? What happens to dopamine and serotonin? Like, what's going on? Yeah. What's in that brainy soup? Yeah. Okay. There's like so much I want people to know about this, and they're two big pieces. And so I want to tell both of them because not everybody like benefits from playing video games. It takes them out of reality. It takes them out of their social relationship and their goals. So I want to preface what I'm going to say by this doesn't naturally happen for all people like the good things. And there are ways that you can, if you don't have a good relationship with gaming, that you can change it so that you're more likely to get the benefits. So I just want to preface all this by saying it's not like games are some magic pill that you play them and good things happen to you. It really mm -hmm. depends on how you play um, and why you play that good things can happen for a lot of people. Just allow me to reiterate that disclaimer. Games are not a magic pill and not everybody benefits from video games and however they can really help in the following ways. So the, the signature thing that I would say, as probably the person who has studied, I mean, I, I don't think there's ever been a scientific paper written about video games that I've not read, <laughs> thousands of them. Um, I am on it. I would say this sort of signature finding has to do with self-efficacy. Mm -hmm. um, so self-efficacy is the belief that you have the ability to take actions that can help you achieve your goals, right? And that so you have skills, you have resources, you have pathways forward. And different people have different kinds of self-efficacy. Like I might have a lot of self-efficacy as a cook in the kitchen, but maybe not uh, in my fashion, like sense of <laughs> like, what should I wear today? I'm just not uh, <laughs> feeling like I have a lot of talent in that area. Different people have self-efficacy in different areas, but if you have the experience of gaining self-efficacy in new areas, it can develop a kind of mindset that does translate. So if you are often doing things that you're bad at and then stay with it and get better and suddenly you have new skills and you acquire new resources and you have achieved new goals and milestones, your brain gets better at looking at a difficult skill or task and saying, let me try it because I have a great and long history of getting better at things that I'm bad at. And that's what gaming does for most people. And the more different games you play, the more your brain gets used to being frustrated, hanging in there, feeling optimistic in the face of setbacks. And that is the one generalizable positive impact of games that we see no matter what kind of game you play, sport, challenging, cooperative board game, you're playing bridge, you're playing a video game. If we can help you get comfortable with not being good at something, trying, using your skills and abilities to get better at it, and then you do in fact get better, that that can translate to the rest of your life. So games help us get comfy with being a total newbie at something. So when we try new things, whether it's a video game or something in the three-dimensional realm, we're accustomed to being really frustrated at first and being like, I hate this. I'm so bad at it. Oh, wait. And then we gradually get better and better. 
with time and effort. And we're like, oh, I can apply this to my life. So to receive the full benefit of that, the doc says, make sure you're always playing different games. Like the person who always plays Minesweeper or Solitaire, like they've been playing it for 30 years, not, not having this benefit. But when you look at the research literature, the people who really benefit from this experience are people who feel like games are real in a way. Like they don't see them as escapist. They don't play games to ignore their problems or like shove down negative feelings or get away from people who are annoying them. Um, those people tend to not benefit because they see games as separate from reality. So they don't bring the same mindset to real life. And those are the type of players who go on to be um, like, you, know, you would call it addicted. It's not quite an addiction, but it's a kind of compulsive gameplay where they play more than is good for them. Is there a difference in games where you're playing against a computer versus yeah. you are in a community and your friends are on a headset and you're all yelling at each other trying to like, you know, kill the same elf? Huge difference. And it's not that one is better or worse or they're they're good for different things right so like if you're dealing with anxiety or depression a single player game is actually really good because you can like pull out your phone and play it for a few minutes because one of the benefits of games is that it can stop rumination right so if you're anxious you're anxious because you're imagining things that could go wrong right and mm -hmm. it requires it requires your brain to be actively focused on visualizing things that scare you. So one of the best treatments for anxiety in the moment is to just stop the ruminations to to make a conscious decision not to spend time and energy on these thoughts. And so a game on your phone, it could be like a mini golf game. It could be, uh, you know, Candy Crush. It could be Words with Friends. Anything that you can play by yourself is fine because it stops the thoughts. Same with depression. People depression ruminate on very negative thoughts about themselves or their circumstances. Maybe it's the new word game, Wordle, created by Josh Wordle as a present for his word game obsessed partner. Or maybe, like for my husband Jarrett, it's League of Legends with his brothers and friends. Either way, it's nice to interrupt destructive thought patterns with a good old-fashioned game. And if you can stop that flow of thought, it's, a, it's an effective treatment. So single-player games are great. And they are really helpful for things like anxiety, depression, and, and pain. But social games are phenomenal f for other things. Um, the quality of positive emotions they create, um, the trust that they build. It's interesting you mentioned League of Legends. There's been great research showing that people who play League of Legends regularly have a stronger social support network than just about any other gamer, um, meaning there are more people in their lives who will be there for them if they need advice, if they need help in reality, like help moving or you know assistance, physical assistance. People who play League of Legends have very powerful social support system. So each type of gaming experience has its benefits, she says, and social games seem to lead to a bigger sense of community and family that can transfer to real life. But can you play too many video games? And is there a connection between playing video games and those shiny, flickering, jingling slot machines? Essentially, is gaming like gambling to the brain? They're only a few letters off after all. Oh my gosh, Allie, there's so much to say here. Let, I know. <laughs> let me start. Let me start with the gambling question because this, I think people, if people can understand this, it will alleviate a lot of anxiety around video gaming versus casino gaming. 
the thing that happens in your brain where you feel like something good could happen as a result of your actions, it is identical in gambling and video gaming, right? The part of your brain that says, try again, try again, you might win, go ahead, go for it, that keeps you at that uh, slot machine or you just need to play another hand in, in gambling or you know make another bet. Yes, that is identical to what's happening in video gaming. But what happens in video gaming is you actually get better at skills and you acquire more resources and you gain more allies who can teach you and help you and, and show you the way. And as opposed to you know, luck-based gambling where you're just you know pulling the slot lever or scratching off a lottery ticket, you can actually get better and improve your chances of winning in video gaming. So it is a completely different psychological experience, a different neurological experience, because it is not delusional to stay engaged. Okie doke. So before the lightning round of questions from patrons who sign up at patreon.com slash ologies, it's a buck a month, just saying, each week a portion of the ad revenue goes to a cause of the ologist choosing, and Jane loves ablegamers.org, which, in their words, gives people with disabilities custom gaming setups, including modified controllers and special assistive technology like devices that let you play with your eyes so they can have fun with their friends and family. So a donation went to ablegamers.org, who are doing awesome stuff. So thank you, Jane, for telling us about them. So a few words from sponsors who make that donation a reality. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allies love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids kiddos busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clothes projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. You know what's essential to science? It's not a lab coat. It's skepticism. You know me. I'm down rabbit holes. I'm looking at charts. I'm checking conflicts of interest at the bottom of published papers. And this is helpful because it means I don't buy stuff I don't need. And if you're one of me that can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from like a mile away and you read labels like it's your job, congrats. You're a skeptic. One brand of vitamins that is literally made for us is called Ritual. It's a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. They have clinically backed essential for women 18 plus. It has high quality, traceable ingredients. They're in clean, bioavailable forms. They're also a certified B Corp, female founded. Just today, one of my powerhouse friends was like, ah, found out I'm vitamin D deficient. I was like, yo, ritual, dude. When I forget my multivitamins, there's much less pep in my step. I have noticed. 
They're also very beautiful. They look like tiny lava lamps with little tiny beads in them. There's actually a scientific reason for this, but I gotta wrap it up. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Get that D. Okay, back to your Patreon questions, which are good ones. One Patreon question I got a ton from Mark Williams and from David Baffa and from Sasha KD. They all asked about gamification. Mm -hmm. And I know that I don't think that you love the word, (laughs) but um, is the gamification of behavior a useful technique? Sasha K wants to know, how do you feel about gamification of everything? Yeah. Um, I, you are awesome, Allie, for knowing that I do not use a word gamification to describe my own work because just historically it's been used not in ways that, that authentically empower or bring the best out of the people who are being gamified. Um, so w- my philosophy is if you are connecting with somebody's deeply held values, what do they want more of in their life? They want to be a better parent. They want to learn something new every day. They want to be braver and get out in the world more, be more physically active. You know, whatever it is that they authentically want to do that they choose for themselves, if you can put a quest system or a leveling up system or a, a kind of cooperation opportunity where there are multipliers, if you if you and your friends are doing it together, you can add some game design elements that um, help people do more of what they want. And if they do it, they're going to experience an upward spiral of skill and ability so they can maintain it outside of the game. That's an ideal situation for gamification. So basically, if it helps you achieve your goals from Uno to Magic the Gathering to Tarkov, then Dr. Jane fully supports it. But what about the classic of all classics, the one we all know and love, the falling block majesty of Tetris? And then a bunch of people, Colin Matthew, Carla Kennedy, Helen, um, Amy Connor, all asked about dreams. Why do I dream of Tetris <laughs> after playing Tetris for a long time? Two people in particular, Colin and Amy, both said, I love Tetris, but if I play it too long, I start thinking about it all the time. Ooh. And when I close my eyes, <laughs> I literally see little Tetraminos fall like, why does this happen? This is the greatest question because... The other public service announcement I always like to do about video games actually has to do with Tetris and how it takes over your mind. Um, because um, there have been three randomized control studies and clinical trials now, including one in the field with people who experience traumatic events that show that the way that Tetris takes over your brain so that you are flashing back to it, um, it can prevent flashbacks associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's actually increasing usage of Tetris within 24 hours of a traumatic event that if you play Tetris within 24 hours and before you go to sleep, that your brain is more likely to flash back on Tetris and the event, which reduces the rate of traumatic flashbacks in the future. And it happens because Tetris is so visually compelling and requires so much visual attention that your brain essentially diverts resources from everything else. And it works so hard on this problem that when you walk away from it, your brain is continuing to work on it. If you had a really bad day and you don't want to sit there thinking about it or like stay up all night thinking about it. You can use Tetris to block your brain from flashing back on an experience that you don't want to remember. 
you use the power of Tetris to flash back on Tetris. That's right. Tetris, saving you from stressful replays in your brain. You heard it here first. But what about just strapping a game console and a screen to your actual face? Is that too much? I got a ton of questions about VR. Yeah. Like Justin So, uh, Dion Dabolo, Kirana Bergstrom, and Janelle York all wanted to know, what video game advances should we look forward to? Mm. Like, how do you see the industry developing? And how does VR and AR change game design, like yeah. virtual reality and augmented? Yeah. Oh, so many things. Okay. Um, I'm going to focus on a, a few things. One advance that we are going to see in gaming in general as a result of virtual reality, I believe, is that gaming will become a socially safer and more pleasant space for people who have historically um, experienced more harassment. So for women, people who are identified as queer, there can be a lot of harassment in social gaming. And that's just a fact. I spend a lot of time talking to VR developers, and I know that all of the major VR developers are very much focused on not repeating the mistakes of the past of both social media and video gaming. They do not want VR to be a space where anybody can come up to you and tell you what they think. Anybody can come up to you and have an interaction with you. They want to invent new kinds of uh, technologies for consent, for who can see you, who can touch you, who can talk to you. I, I'm very optimistic that VR is going to thoughtfully not replicate the kind of toxic environments that we've seen in social media and, and video gaming in the past. So that's one thing. Like, yay. Another thing that I'm excited about in VR is VR esports. I mean, esports is obviously becoming a really popular and accepted. I mean, there are college scholarships, there's uh, college leagues, there's um, more people watching online world championships for the the biggest you know league of legends finals than watched major league baseball world series oh and God. watched the nhl okay quick aside just to fact check this let's look at the most watched world series in recent years 2016 chicago cubs are in the world series for the first time since 1907 this is a big deal Game seven, who's going to win? The viewership is about triple what it usually is for a World Series with 40 million people watching. The Chicago Cubs take the victory, 40 million. Oh, but last year, the number of people watching the League of Legends finals was 100 million. Well, that's an exaggeration. It was 99.6 million. So yeah, that's a lot. Sorry, Cubs. It's very popular, but I'm interested in esports and VR because the esports and VR are often very physical. If you look at images or videos of them online, you see people leaping and crawling, and there's a, a real blend of physical sport, but also all the things that require you to be good in video games and esports, the kind of fast reflexes and visual attention and resource management that are the kind of strategic decision making that we see in traditional video games and esports. So I'm excited for VR esports also as a as a way to have both real physical and beautiful gameplay alongside traditional esports skills. So in the future, we could see sports and esports come together and possibly put us in some form of the oasis from Ready Player One. And I know people who use their Oculus Quest headsets to work out via Beat Saber and other apps, which kind of feels like going to the gym in Star Trek's holodeck in the best way. But is there a world where maybe that's a little too immersive? 
It's just a little much. Can you spend too much time playing video games? My nephew Mason is nine, and I just got back from the holidays with him, and he and his parents have a difference of opinion on this issue, as you can imagine. Let's see, Matt Salgado, Carla Hickenlooper, uh, Radha Vakaria, Carla Kennedy, and a few other people asked about addiction. When should kids start playing video games and how much is too much? Okay, so you cannot go wrong if you are playing the game with them. That's that's the first and most important rule. There's no too soon if you are playing with them and talking to them about it. And for as long as you can continue this, the better. So even if it's a single player game, you know, somebody's they're building something in Minecraft, you are sitting right there. You're like, what are you doing? How did you know to do that? How did you figure that out? Like, ah, it looks really hard. What's going on? Talk to your kids. Let them express their problem-solving process, um, what's motivating them about the game. Why is this fun? You want to just draw out as much as you can because it allows kids to really reflect on how they learn, what they're getting better at, how they are capable of solving difficult problems um, and staying engaged with hard challenges. Games are just the most incredible environment for you to validate your kids' skills and abilities as a learner, as a creative person, as a problem solver. And uh, the other thing about in terms of timing, I I did help do a meta-analysis of all the studies that have looked at kids and adults, how much is too much. And I will say that there are have never been studies showing ill effects when people are playing less than 20 hours a week. You do see impacts on school performance, on social relationships with people who don't play games, on physical health and well-being over 20 hours per week. So that's just another kind of safe zone. And in cases of serious pathological gameplay when people are staying up all night, they're not doing the schoolwork, they're not looking for a job. I always say, get it to 20 hours or less. Do not take the game away. Okay, so there's a sweet spot of 20 hours or less a week, but your mileage may vary. And really, just make sure that you're prioritizing the big things. Sleep, rest, family and friends time, your schoolwork, your big goals. And recognize when you're relaxing and when you're escaping because life maybe feels too painful. Speaking of pain, a lot of us wanted to know, is there a connection between video games with violent content and three-dimensional real-life bad behavior? If you play video games stealing cars, are you going to go around and steal a bunch of cars? You're trained to do it now. I don't know about you specifically, but you know what I mean. And so a bunch of people asked about violence in video games. Emily Brabish, Anna Elizabeth, Janelle York, Lauren Murray, uh, McKay, Sarah Jane James, Amber Cooper. And then they all kind of asked, do violent video games cause more violence? Mm -hmm. Look, statistically, we know that 96% of men under 21 play violent video games. And I prefer to use the term like games with violent content because obviously the most violent game is like football, real football, Mm -hmm. where you are hitting people and causing brain injuries. That is an actually violent game. Um, Video games are not actually violent. So let's say games with violent content or aggressive themes. Everybody plays them. And if you look at the data, violent crime has gone down and down and down exactly as engagement with violent themed games has gone up and up. I mean, it's like, it's ridiculous. If there were any, any 
correlation, let alone causation, you would not see this trend. Um, this is like anybody who studies this will, that's the first thing they will say is over the past 30 years, violence, crime goes down, particularly in this demographic, this male demographic, violent themed gameplay is going up. It's just not, It's there's no data to suggest that there is any kind of correlation, let alone causation. However, that said, two things. There are certain types of gameplay that can turn you into a jerk. Not a violent person, <laughs> but somebody who has less empathy for people they perceive as weaker than them and who are kind of moodier and may yell at you or be grumpy to you. And you're just like, ugh, why are you so obnoxious or such a jerk? That kind of gameplay is when you play um, in these very aggressive themed games against strangers who you don't know and will never see in person. We tend to dehumanize those opponents. We don't know who they are. So we're playing anonymously online. We're trying to beat them. We build up in our mind that there's like horrible people and we hate them and we feel antagonistic towards them. Um, and those emotions that we build up, the frustration, the anger, the hatred, it's not like you just walk away from the game and they evaporate. So they can linger. A lot of people don't want to simulate violence because we don't enjoy it. And that's a natural feeling. And it's why a lot of people are turned off by video game culture. It's not abnormal to not enjoy violence. Like that's a that's also a normal thing. If you're turned off by it, that's okay. And you don't have to play violent video games. Or if you play them, you don't have to necessarily engage in the violent aspects of them. Okay, got it. So video games with violent content won't necessarily make you a violent person, but playing certain types of games can make you more of a jerk when you're not playing. Maybe even Monopoly, which just a quick aside, I have to tell you this. It was actually the early 1900s brainchild of an anti-capitalist activist and a comedian and a writer and a... <gasps> unmarried woman by the name of Elizabeth Maggie. And she created Monopoly, it was then called The Landlord's Game, as a cautionary tale. And in her old-timey words, Let the children see clearly the gross injustice of our present land system, and when they grow up, the evil will be remedied. Well, you had such high hopes, Lizzie, but perhaps the irony was a little too lost on us because she was at a party playing it with her friends and then some jabroni liked it and ripped her off. He paid her 500 bucks for the idea and then he made millions of dollars distorting its message because mm, capitalism, the very thing she was trying to warn us about. Anyway, so that's why you feel bad when you play Monopoly and you watch your family become destitute while you own like four railroads. Anyway, let's look on the brighter side of gaming, shall we? After nearly 20 years in this industry, in this field, what is the shiniest light when it comes to litology? What is your favorite thing about video games or about what you do? I mean, my, f my favorite thing is I love with discovering a new game with my husband still. Um, we've been together since uh, 2000, um, so almost 20 oh. years now. And one of the first things we did together was play an adventure game called Grim Fandango, one player, uh, LucasArts uh, browser-based game. You like explore world together and it's, we spent a few weeks playing it together. And I still, like, I love when a new game comes out, whether it's Gone Home game or Fortnite, we can sit and experience it together. And we have these sort of memorable moments in our history. I'm like when we found Portal, when we found Braid, when we found World of Warcraft. I really love developing a skill with him together and having that that novelty and that exploration and curiosity. There's so many positive emotions that we feel when we play and when you can feel them with someone you love. 
It's really powerful. Whoa, wow. So ask smart people playful questions because there's a lot more to video games than any of us previously thought. So we learned that they can change the way we think. They can build confidence and resilience. They can build communities online that translate to communities in real life. We also learned Tetris requires a ton of mental focus and a bunch of different games is better for our brains than just playing one game over and over. And also that maybe we should try and limit our time playing video games to 20 hours or less a week, depending on if you're meeting your top priorities in life and, you know, self-care, things like that. So to find out more about Dr. Jane McGonigal, you can go to janemcgonigal.com. It's linked in the show notes. She's also Avant Game on Twitter. I'll link all of this in the show notes, including a link to the nonprofit ablegamers.org and where to find the sponsors of the show in case you're interested in them. And Jane's books include her upcoming March 22nd release, Imaginable, How to See the Future Coming and Feel Ready for Anything, Even Things That Seem Impossible Today, and also her 2015 bestseller, Super Better. Those are all linked on my website. You can find out more at aliward.com slash Smologies. You can find more Smologies episodes there in case you are listening and you want to binge on some. Thank you to Dr. Jane McGonigal. And thank you to any new Smologites. New episodes are out about every two weeks. And links to the full Lidology episode for grownups or children who don't mind swearing. There is much more detail and... Again, lots of curse words. Those are available on alleyboard.com or in the show notes. And a full list of credits for this episode can be found there as well, since we like to keep things nice and small around here. And if you listen to the end of the show, you know I give you a piece of advice. And this week, it's that I just realized that there is a feature in Gmail that lets you add a task list. Google it. It's amazing. You check the box next to an email. You add it to your task list. And it pulls up on the side of your email so you can just find what you're doing easily, click an email instead of just putting random stars on things. And it actually, I will be honest, kind of gamifies your to-do list because you get to click it and then it disappears. You go, ha ha, I did that. So if you have a Gmail box, very helpful. I don't know if that helps anyone else. Also, kids, floss your teeth because um, your dentist will love you. And in the future, when you're a grown-up, you're going to spend way less money getting cavities filled and you can spend it on more fun stuff like a virtual reality headset that your parents won't let you buy when you're a kid. Okay, that's all for this week. Until next time, Smologites. Bye-bye. I'd call them the Super Mario Brothers. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 